I'm going to briefly go over the five levels of learning again. And you're going to find out something a little interesting about me if you don't already know this. Um, I don't usually ever stop what I'm preaching for holidays. I just keep right on rolling through. I figure we'll take the holiday stuff that's coming and put that in the worship. And I just keep preaching, you know. It doesn't mean every once in a while the Lord doesn't lead me to stop. but So we're just rolling right on through. There's no special Palm Sunday message. We're going to be looking at discipleship again because I believe it's important. And so we're going to briefly go over the five levels of learning again. I'm not going to go super in-depth with this. But we need to remember as we learn to follow Jesus, we need to really learn to follow Jesus, right? So the first level of learning is rote knowledge. That's the ability to repeat without thought of meaning. And, and that was where we said voakie, you know, and we, we could all repeat voakie, but nobody knew what it meant. That's rote learning. It's important. We need to be able to do that. Uh, the second level of learning is recognition. That's the ability to recognize biblical concepts in our, in our context. So we see something, so we say voakie, and I can say, okay, this is a biblical concept. I can recognize this. I know, not that voakie is a biblical concept, but you get my point, right? So I can recognize biblical concepts, though I may not really know what it means and how it applies. These levels of learning, these first two are facts. They're basic but insufficient. Basic but insufficient. The third level of learning is restatement. It's the ability to express or relate concepts to a biblical system of thought. This gives us meaning in terms of worldview. And this, my friends, is where I believe most, if not all... Christian teaching is aimed at, and it should not be aimed at this. This is a step to get to where it should be aimed. We need to be able to do this, but we need to stop making people who have a Christian worldview and make, and, and make disciples that go beyond just having the worldview. I can restate in my own terms what different things inside of scriptures mean and i can have a christian worldview i can believe in the christian worldview that god created the heavens and the earth and have this biblical worldview and i can restate all of that but really what does that mean i can say that life is sacred i can restate that but what does that mean in how i live right this is a biblical worldview but it's not enough if it's just in our head a biblical worldview is head knowledge. The next level of learning is relation. It's the ability to relate Bible truths to life and see the appropriate response. When a church is doing really good in making disciples, they get to this level. This is what we call heart knowledge. People can see the appropriate response. Oh, life is sacred. Well, the appropriate response is that... If I get pregnant, I'm not going to have an abortion. But then I know a lot of Christians who believe that life is sacred and for whatever the reason, whatever the circumstances are, would follow through and have an abortion for different reasons. Christians struggle with that all the time. We hear, you know, the doctor goes in and they say, well, we've done amniocentesis and this baby is going to be born brain dead. And, and I see Christians that struggle with that and go, oh, I know what the appropriate response is, but do I actually bring this baby into the world? Right? These are the kind of struggles. This is heart knowledge. This is when it really gets down and it starts affecting us. But oftentimes the appropriate response doesn't come out, even though we see what the appropriate response is. 
Let's make it a little more uh, less life-threatening than abortion. I can see the appropriate responses to trust the Lord with my tithes and offerings. But yet I got a big stack of bills over here and I'm afraid of the bill collectors and so I don't. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's a, I see the appropriate response, but I'm nervous about following through with it. And then the last level... It's realization. It's actualizing responses, applying truth to daily life. It's like, okay, I see that I should not get an abortion, and I'm going to not get an abortion. I see that I should pray about who I vote for, so I'm actually going to pray about it. Right? I can see, you know, etc., etc., etc. This is what we call hand knowledge, what I call hand knowledge, where it actually goes down into my hands, where it actually affects how I live my life. Out in the community. These are the goals that we're going for. This is, gives meaning in terms of life experience. Now I'm no longer hearing about the gospel and internalizing it in my heart. I'm actually experiencing the saving power of Jesus Christ in my day-to-day interactions. Friends, Jesus didn't just save you from the penalty of sin after you die. He saved us from the power of sin here on the earth to walk as righteous and holy people. This is realization. The thing about this is that the teacher has certain roles inside of this. The teacher has certain roles inside of this. And if you look at it, you know, the teacher's role right here, when you have this down on the lower level, when it's down here at rote, there's a lot of telling going on. And you notice that these kind of go up at a diagonal slant. That's because the further we go, it goes from telling to guiding. It goes from me being the expert and having to tell you everything to you learning enough, and all I do is give you gentle nudges here and there. Does that make sense? Amen? So the more mature you come in Christ, the less the person who's discipling you has to tell you, and the more they just have to nudge and guide and maybe ask a question that gets you to wrestle with the truth, different things like that. Amen? Are you awake today? Amen? Alright. So... So how does this go with what we're talking about? I mean, we're, we keep going through this over and over and over again because I want you to understand that everything I teach you as a pastor, I want you to come to the level where you're actually living it out. I don't preach sermons just to give you Bible knowledge. Hopefully our training ground teachers and our small group leaders are not teaching just to give you Bible knowledge. We don't want to help you study the Word just to know it. We want you to study the Word so that you can live it. Amen? So, how does this go into the next principle? Well, I have to start off by telling a story. Now, this is kind of a paradox inside of my life. I'm not really known for being that picky when it comes to food. My wife will tell you, I will eat pretty much anything that hits the table in front of me. Right? I mean, when I was in Mongolia, I had horse intestines because it was on the menu. I do not recommend it. I will eat anything once, but I will let Jeff Brown hit me in the mouth with a baseball bat before I eat horse intestines again. It was that bad. That doesn't mean I won't try chitlins. Different animal. One of my favorites, by the way, the the hog. But anyway, but I'm not really known for being that picky. And so I'm going to share these things with you. You know, even though I'm not picky, I do have some preferences. Like, I'm picky about certain things that are generic. Or maybe imitation, right? Like, Miracle Whip. 
Please don't give me generic salad dressing. Okay? A sandwich just isn't a sandwich without the tangy zip of Miracle Whip. I'm just saying. And don't give me no mayo. Because I mayo just send you out of my house. Right? But I want Miracle Whip. You know, I grew up on Miracle Whip. Right? And some of you know, Miracle Whip, I mean, it's good. But don't give me the generic, you know. The generic's just not right. You know, it's just not right. Peanut butter. I don't want generic peanut butter. Generic peanut butter is fine for like the first day until all of a sudden you have to stir it every time you want to, you know. Some of you like that. I mean, I've even seen some name brand peanut butters. Now you walk in the store, it's this high-priced organic stuff. And it's got like that much oil on top of it. I'm like, really? (laughs) How does that work? You know, but anyway... You know, but I mean, I grew up having this generic, we grew up with generic peanut butter, and sometimes, you know, you get a shell. You're like, Mom, why'd you get crunchy? I didn't. (laughs) Problem, you know. But I don't want generic peanut butter. To be quite honest with you, I don't really like uh, generic milk, which sounds kind of weird, because we've noticed, like, with certain, you know, store brands of milk, it just spoils really fast, and others don't. And so I'll drink it. I can't really tell a difference, but we've noticed that the the name brand tends to stay better longer, you know. Um, And some of you are like, well, we ought to just get it straight out of the cow. I know we've got a a group of you raising, hey, I'm all for that, you know, you know. But anyhow, sandwich cheese, okay. Wow, there's some really bad sandwich cheese out there, you know, really bad. And it didn't used to be so bad, but like the, like, I don't know, like, the older I get, the more it's a problem. I and mean, my wife, you know, she tries to buy stuff in bulk, and so we freeze it a lot. And you can't hardly get a piece of generic sandwich cheese to freeze and then thaw where it doesn't stick to the wrapper. You know, and you're like, you need a spatula to scrape it off the piece of plastic to put it on your sandwich. But, you know, generic sandwich cheese just doesn't taste right. And bread, I'm kind of picky about bread. I've noticed, you know, like, I want a good brand of bread. I've noticed, like, the generic brand of bread a lot of time, you know, fresh. You could go get it right out of the thing, and it's already stale. You know, and, you know, it's already dry. I'm like if I want a dry bread, I'd go over there in the deli and get that French bread. You know, I, I want the I want some stuff that's nice and moist and all that stuff. I used to be really bad about cookies, especially like Oreos, right? And not that I'm a big Oreo fan, but I grew up, and my mom would get the fake Oreos. You know, they just called them, it just said on the package, sandwich cookies. Look, sandwich and cookie, they don't go together. But anyways, but she'd get these sandwich cookies, right? And it didn't matter if they were just made at the factory. You could open them up, pull them out, and they were already not crispy, right? Like they were already, you know, you're like, and then what's worse? Try dipping them in milk. I mean... As they get close to the milk, they just start disintegrating in your hand. They're like, no! Right? My mo- so my mom would get these, you know, imitation Oreos. And let me just be honest with you. I don't know why. We weren't poor. My parents would probably try to tell you we were, we were not poor. We were comfortably middle class. I, th- I think we could have afforded a pack of Oreos every once in a while. But maybe that's why we could have afforded a pack of Oreos once in a while, because my mom didn't ever buy them. But anyway, you know, they just instantly fell apart. But, you know, after I got married to my wife, you know, she, she taught me that the imitation stuff isn't always bad. 
The imitation stuff isn't always bad. She showed me that there are imitation Oreos out there that are actually pretty doggone close to the originals. Who's heard of the brand Hydrox? Hydrox cookies, those are pretty close. And, and we've noticed here lately that there's even more brands that are coming closer and, and closer to the original. I'm not saying they're exactly, but, but these companies are getting better at, at getting them closer and closer to the original. And this is, my wife taught me this, you know, there's a lot of stuff that when we first got married, I didn't want the imitation version of it anywhere, right? I didn't want the generic imitation, but my wife has got me pretty much whittled down to those few things. And I'll eat an imitation Oreo, right? I will. Um, But what does this have to do with discipleship? What does this have to do with Hebrews chapter 5? Verses 11 to 14. I want you to know that this imitation stuff, as we talk about these cookies and all of these kind of things, it actually is a pretty good illustration, I think, about discipleship. And so I want you to go ahead and open your, your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. As you're turning there, I want you to understand something. Every illustration breaks down at some point. This is going to break down at some point. So I'm not saying an Oreo is a perfect representation of being a disciple. It's going to fall apart here at some point. But kind of go with me and you'll see how this, how this works out. Here's what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 to 14 says. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be leaders, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Father, generic cookies, generic cheese, generic bread, all of these things, Lord, is an illustration, I believe, on this fourth principle of discipleship. Lord, I pray today that this illustration, while it's funny and while it makes us laugh, that it will stick with us and it will help us to remember this fourth principle of discipleship. Lord, we're all here today because we love you and we want to serve you and we want to grow in our faith. So help us today. Explain to us by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. The reason my wife was able to get me to switch over in a lot of areas to the imitation products is because she got me to start, she taught me that they're not all those uh, products are being imitated the same. Like everybody's not trying to imitate it the same way. You follow what I'm saying? Like, you know, Walmart, when they try to imitate it, maybe tries to do it a little bit different way than when Giant Eagle does it. And, and Giant Eagle tries to do it a little bit different way than uh, Wegmans does it. And Wegmans tries to do it a little different way. And so my wife taught me, you know, hey, look, just because it's not, not the name brand, just because it's the store brand, doesn't mean that they're not, or doesn't mean that they're doing it the same way. Some companies out there do a good job of studying the original. 
They diligently put themselves under the tutelage of that company. And I'm not saying they know the company knows they're putting them under the tutelage, you know. But they're submitting to that person's process, right? They're submitting to the process of, of Oreo, of Nabisco, uh, of how Nabisco's making these cookies, you know. And they're, they're trying to co- learn to copy it as close to the original, right? This is kind of like our first principle of discipleship, which is the disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to follow Jesus, Right? So they're submitting, they're saying, okay, if I want to make an Oreo or an imitation Oreo, I need to submit to Nabisco to learn how to make something close to that. I got to look at their process and all those things. Again, remember, I said the illustration breaks down at some point, so don't run too far with that in your head, right? So then, you know, now the next thing when they're submitted to this process, what do they do? They work really hard to dissect the product that they're trying to duplicate in order to discover the list of ingredients, right? This is kind of like the second principle. A disciple learns Jesus' words. If I want to make something that's pretty close to an Oreo, I probably need to know the ingredients. What goes into it, right? If they're using uh, this much flour for a batch, I probably need to know that, right? This is kind of like learning Jesus' words. This is learning the things that Jesus taught and really getting down to that. Because if I don't know what Jesus said, well, I'm not going to be able to imitate somebody, right? If I don't know what's going into one of these cookies, then how can I imitate it, right? It's like saying, okay, I want to make, uh, I want to make lamb chops that are, you know, cooked in this particular type of sauce and blah, 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 blah. But I don't even look at what anybody else uses for ingredients. I'm just going to create the sauce on my own. It's probably not going to come out very good. Amen? You know what I'm saying? So they have to look at this. So this, again, this kind of reminds us of our second principle. A disciple learns Jesus' words. The third principle is a disciple learns Jesus' way of ministry, right? Now, every once in a while, a company will do all this hard work only to decide to take shortcuts. And I think that's why we have a lot of these imitations that are really bad, right? Uh, this happened recently with a pack of generic Oreos my wife bought. There's like horse intestines at the bottom, and then there was this chicken dish I had right above that one time. And then these Oreos. I mean, these cookies were bad. I bit into one and I'm like, I had to eat two. Because I thought, there's something wrong with that first one. But the second one tasted just like it. Oh, I guess it right. And I didn't tell anybody in the family. I just put them in the Ziploc bag, put them back in the cabinet. <laughs> My son ate that whole bag. And I'm like, dude, he goes, oh, they were awful. I'm like, what would you eat them for? He's like, well, they were there. So apparently he's not that picky either. The package looked good. The cookie looked good. It looked like a good imitation Oreo. It didn't look bad. They even got the thing crispy. Like an Oreo is supposed to be. It wasn't like, you know, already stale. It was crispy the way it was supposed to be. But man, when I bit into it, it just didn't taste right. On the outside, it looked like an Oreo. But when it came to the taste test, it was pretty bad. They had taken some shortcuts. They had learned how Nabisco made the cookies. They'd submitted to Nabisco. They'd learned their, their ingredients. They'd, they'd learned their process. 
They'd learned how they did it in the factory and all of these things. And yet, some way or another, they took a shortcut, and this cookie tasted foul, foul, foul. I mean, foul. I mean, if there had been a party going on, it would shut the whole thing down. It was like the party police. And the funny thing about it is, is we had a bag of Oreos, but my wife had told me the Oreos were for guests, and I should not eat those. Guys, a true disciple does more than submit to a teacher. A true disciple does more than learn Jesus' words. A true disciple does more than learn Jesus' way of ministry, the way of a servant. A true disciple takes this further by imitating Jesus' life and character. See, imitation isn't always bad. But friends, we have to imitate it all. This is like the taste test on the generic Oreo, right? It looked good on the outside, but when we got to eating it on the inside, it wasn't so good, right? Maybe it's like this. I'm not calling Dave out, okay? Using Dave as an example. Dave, Dave looks like a Christian on the outside. He reads his Bible. He's enrolled in Christian school to learn how to become a minister of the gospel better. Right? He attends services faithfully. Dave's even a tither. He goes beyond tithing. He's an offerer. He goes beyond offering. He serves as a deacon inside the church. He goes beyond that. He shows up early before services and all of these things and he helps out and he's there and everything looks good and I mean he looks he looks like an Oreo friends. But he's generic. He is an imitation Oreo. Because when a stressful situation hits, when it gets deep, a different set of colors comes through. When Dave gets bitten into, it doesn't taste like an Oreo. It tastes like one of these generic cookies. Let me go ahead and explain this a little further. The modern day psalmists, that's what I call a lot of our Christian artists who are out there today, the modern day psalmists wrote this song that said, Are we happy plastic people in our shining plastic steeple on our stained glass masquerade? Friends, this is the generic Oreo. I come to church, I put on my plastic face, I'm like, oh, praise God, if, there, if I was any more blessed, there'd have to be two of me. There practically are two of me. But anyway, if I was any more blessed, there'd have to be two of me. You know, oh, how's everything going? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, God is really showing up in my life and all of these things. Right? And we, we put on these airs. We put on this front to everybody. We come in. It sounds all good. But really, when I'm at work and the stress is hitting or when I'm at home and the stress is hitting or when I'm here or there and the stress is hitting, there's a completely different guy coming out. 
And see, the reality is most of the time with this imitation faith, we don't really bite into one another. We don't really do the taste test. We don't really look at people's works. We don't really look at what's going on when they're stressed out and and see if this is genuine Christianity or if this is just a bunch of silly nonsense. But church, I want to challenge you that we should be. We should be on ourselves and we should be with others. Our president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance this week posted another video blog. Dr. Stumbo posted on there. He, he talked about when the, when the next big one hits. And he's talking about these churches that are ministering inside of catastrophes when suffering and all of those things come. And he talks about in that. And he's talking to pastors. He's saying, pastors, you need to work through all of this stuff now because when, when the pressure hits, it's too late. The characters, if the character's not there, the character's not going to come instantly just because of the trial. We have to work about these things beforehand. We have to work through these things beforehand. We have to live out our faith in real and tangible ways. We have to imitate Jesus' life and character. Friends, it is not enough for us to say that we love Jesus and we want to follow him. Jesus said, when a disciple is fully trained... He will be like his master. Church, I'm saying we need to have some moments of true repentance as individuals. I'm not calling you out on anything in particular, anything specific, but I'm asking you to to be honest with yourself. Are there things in your life that you've got to the fourth level of learning on, you see the appropriate response, but you are unwilling to do it for whatever the reason, you're a generic Oreo then in that area. Here's the thing about it. With these generic Oreos, some of them taste really bad, and some of them they get closer and closer and closer. That's how we are as Christians. We start learning. We get the head knowledge. Okay, we kind of look like the Oreo. But, we're, but then you take us out of the package and we're kind of already stale. We get the heart knowledge and right ingredients going in. We're starting to be crispy. And then we start living it out. We start having more and more of that original flavor. Now, this isn't to beat you up if you're at the stale Oreo stage. I'm just saying it's we got to go further. We have to go deeper. Some people say, well, there's always something else. Yes, there's always something else. It doesn't stop. Jesus didn't say, come, give me your life, get saved, and it's all happy, happy. No. He says, when a disciple is fully trained, he or she will be like his master are you like jesus in every single way if you are please raise your hand thank you for nobody being silly and putting their hand up that means we don't quite taste like the original oreo yet discipleship is not a process that you ever complete this side of heaven Something that was kind of uh, shocking to me 
is back when Fran was teaching in training ground when we first came here. And, and he, was, he said, how many of you feel equipped to disciple someone? And seriously, like two hands went up. That's all I remember that day. Maybe there were four, but I think there were two. And I think both of them had the last name Breedlove. And here's the thing. As we wrestle with this, I think a lot of us feel like we're not in the process to disciple somebody because, well, I don't know it all. Guys, I don't know it all either. Discipleship is a lifelong process. If you're waiting till you know it all to start imitating Jesus' life and character, if you're waiting until everything is hunky-dory, it's never going to happen. This is a process that we have to get involved with in our life. But that's more for next week's message. Let me go back to this week's message. This discipleship thing is more than going to church. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, when I first came into ministry, said that they believe that 96% of the people who graced the pews with their presence on Sunday morning in the church in America were probably going to hell. I'm not saying I know that. I'm saying that's the statistic they came up with, surveying churches, talking to people inside of churches, asking them what their hope was in, asking them if you're standing before God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven, that 96% of them were probably going towards hell. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Let me just tell you something. You can go to church every day. You can go to church seven days a week and stay in it for hours and hours and hours. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can tithe, you can make offerings, you can do all of these things and still end up in hell. That's pretty shocking, that's pretty a bold statement, but Jesus says this way through the apostles. It's not by works so that no man may boast, but by grace you have been saved and that through faith. You can't work your way there. Your church attendance won't get you to heaven. Your tithes won't get you to heaven. Your offering won't get you to heaven. Your service won't get you to heaven. It's only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. But so many of us, we sit inside the service And I'm not talking about specific people in OCCA. I'm just saying in the church in America, so many of us sit inside of the service and we listen and we participate and we go on about our lives completely and totally unchanged. We kind of look like an Oreo, but we don't taste like one at all. Please don't raise your hand. Please don't confess this out loud. But how many of you on the way to the building this morning as you came here to worship together were fighting with your husband or your wife and you're brawling and then you pull up inside the parking lot and you're like, okay, let's put on our game face and get in there. You may be fooling me. You may be fooling the elders. But you're not fooling Jesus. 
This is, again, not a condemnatory message. I'm not trying to condemn you or make you feel guilty. I'm just simply saying there needs to be something different about us. We need to be imitating Jesus' life and character. Imitating the life and character of Jesus is much more than going to church. It's about how we live, especially when the preacher's not watching. Do you know how many people use the American version of cursing, which isn't the biblical version, but using slang words, filthy talk, and the scriptures say we should have no filthy talk among us, so we should watch our language. But they'll say something in front of me, and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. And my response, if I have a good enough relationship with them, is this. Keith? Not that Keith does this all the time, okay? Keith? <laughs> not that keith does this ever <laughs> okay keith you don't have to apologize for cursing in front of me because god is the one who sees he's the one who knows what's going on in your heart if you don't say the f-bomb in front of me it doesn't matter that's not getting you credit with jesus Friends, I am not Jesus. And I know that intellectually we all know this, but I mean, how many times do we walk in the building on Sunday morning or do we show up at the preacher's house or do we run into him here or there or the other place and we put on this fakeness? Look. That's being the imitation Oreo that doesn't taste anything like Jesus. And this is not to say that everything that we do is bad. But we need to imitate Jesus' life and character at all times. Lots of people tithe. Lots of people teach Sunday school. Lots of people do outreach. But a lot of these same people fail the taste test when they're put under pressure and they explode. Or they think nobody is looking and they embrace sin. They dive headfirst into it. There's lots of guys inside of our body, I'm sure. If, if you listen to the statistics, and I don't know if the statistics are true, there's only one statistic in the world that I know is absolutely true. Ten out of every ten people die and stand before God. That's the only stat that I know is true. So as I share statistics with you, understand I can't prove them, but I think there's, we ought to wrestle with the implications. They say one out of four people, one out of four men, is actively engaged in an ongoing battle with pornographic material. I wonder if one out of four are actively engaged in an ongoing battle and another one out of those four isn't even fighting anymore. They've just embraced it. I mean, at least the one who's engaged in the ongoing battle wants to taste more like the Oreo. You know what I'm saying? This isn't to condemn you if you're struggling with some kind of sin. If you're struggling, hallelujah, it means you haven't quit. Okay, like one person heard that. If you're struggling, hallelujah, it means you haven't quit. Okay, more of you got it. If you're struggling, hallelujah, that means you haven't quit. Amen. Okay? But guys, we're talking about just like openly embracing sin. And I'm not talking about openly embracing what I say is sin. I'm talking about what the scriptures say, right? 
We were chatting about it this morning before worship, myself, Missy, and Mark, about how many times people are so nervous to dance in church because the movie Footloose was based on a truth inside of our culture that says dancing's of the devil, you know, inside of church culture, right? And so I can tell you all that, and people are like, okay, we can't dance, we can't move, we can't do any of this stuff, you know, but the scriptures talk all over the place about dancing before the Lord, you know. My point, so my point is this, I'm not saying that you're, this, you're not tasted like an Oreo is because, well, I tell you this is wrong. I'm talking about stuff that God has personally convicted you of and you just don't care. This, my friends, is why I think Catholicism is so popular in our area. Because Catholicism says I can live any way I want to. And as long as I go to confession and I say my Hail Marys and I say my Our Fathers, I'm good to go. I'm going to end up in purgatory, but I'll pay for it all there. I just need to make sure I don't die with any mortal sin on me. You know, I can't die having murdered somebody and not having that confessed and repented of, etc., etc. But I'm just going to pay for all of this at some point, and so I can kind of live any way I want to. But a genuine faith in Jesus Christ says, I can't live any way I want to. Jesus is changing me. I want to share just a piece of my story with you. I think when I was nine years old, I became the total imitation Oreo that was the imitation to the point that it wasn't anywhere authentic at all. I prayed a prayer at nine years old in Kansas City, Missouri in First Baptist Church because the teacher, the Sunday school teacher on that year that I rode the church bus whipped out the wordless book to me. Some of you are familiar with that evangelistic tool. Whipped out the wordless book, goes through the whole thing at the end, says, so do you want to go to heaven? I said, yeah. Like, who doesn't, right? You know, David Crowder sings a song. It's an old song he redid. Talks starts off, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Yeah, I want to go to heaven, right? Well, pray this prayer like it's some kind of magic spell. So I prayed this prayer without any understanding of what it meant. And my life did not change at all. Except for people say, are you Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm an Oreo, right? Look at me in the cellophane package. All pretty, waiting to be eaten, right? But guys, my sin didn't bother me at all. I mean, like, I was, a, I was into sin, and I was, like, really good at it, and never once did I even get convicted. I've only been a born-again believer for 12 years. In two more days. Tuesday will be 12 years as a believer. When I came out of that experience where I gave my life to the Lord, my wife was so freaked out because I transformed so radically. And people say, well, that's just a unique experience. I don't think it's supposed to be unique. I think it's supposed to be normal. The scriptures say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Did that mean I never sinned? No, but I mean, it bothered me. All of a sudden, there was this different person there. Did I taste exactly like an Oreo? No. But I was getting closer and closer to Jesus. I started the spiritual growth process that happened that day. And I just want to encourage you to be thinking through this, to be processing through this. 
There's a radical difference that's supposed to happen inside of our lives. We're supposed to be being transformed. We're supposed to have started a transformation at the time of our salvation, and then we're to continue to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. Not about attending church, not about tithing, not about offering, but can I tell you this? If you're literally transformed, if God takes you from being over here and brings you into His kingdom, you know what what happens in your life, in my personal experience and in the personal experience of the people I've seen that appear to really be following Jesus? There's all of a sudden this desire to imitate Jesus. They want to become more and more like Him. They'll even sacrifice. They'll do crazy things. And they don't care what you think. If you like them, fine. If you don't like them, fine. They just want to follow Jesus. They just want to grow to be more like Him. They want to imitate His life and character. Here in just a moment, I'm going to show you some homework. But, but I'm going to do something that we do sometimes. We're going to have an altar call during the, during the song as the band plays a little bit. Because we can submit to a teacher. We can start learning Jesus' words. We can start learning Jesus' way of ministry. But friends, if we don't start imitating his life and character, genuinely imitating his life and character, you need to question your salvation. I'm not questioning your salvation. I said you need to question your salvation. Is it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 13.5 that says it? Let me see real quick. One's the love chapter. One's, which one's the love chapter? Second is? First. So 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Verse 6, I hope we will not find out that you failed the test. Written to people who call themselves the church. Test yourselves. Look at your life. Do you genuinely want to follow Jesus with everything you have? Do you want to imitate his life and character? Are you willing to give him everything? Now, I know this is a hard message. This isn't a message that's meant to condemn you. This isn't a message that's meant to slap you down. It's a message that's meant to say you have to take Jesus' grace literally into your life. He's offering it to you. He's holding it out to you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. All you have to do is embrace it. And if you truly and willfully embrace it, it will transform you. You can't stop it from transforming you. And you're going to enter into this growth process. And the further you go with Jesus, the more He's going to transform your actual actions. It's going to first start off with conviction. Here's what I've discovered in my 12 years as a Christian. The closer I get to Jesus, the worse I feel about myself. The closer I get to Jesus, the worse I feel about myself, not the better. 
I realize more and more how he feels he loves me, and I realize all of that. But, I mean, he started off, first of all, he was worried about my outward actions. Then he started worrying about the stuff that I was doing in secret that nobody else, you know, the outward stuff that everybody saw, how I was lashing out at people, he wanted to change that. Then he started that, that where the secret stuff that only I knew about, and then he started messing with my thought process. And he's like, is that really honoring me, Jerry? I'm like, Lord, I'm not doing it. I'm just thinking. And he goes, I know. Are you really honoring me? Like the closer I get to him, I've really come to understand what it means that my righteousness is like it's filthy rags. And but you might see in my life or in the life of another person who's growing in that faith. Wow, that person's really following Jesus. But you get to talking to them, and they're like, "Oh, I'm such a wretch, such a wretch." We're going to leave this up for a little bit. This is the homework for this week. John 13, verses 12 through 20 on Monday. Tuesday, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25. Wednesday, Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Thursday, Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. Friday, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. And Saturday, 3 John, verses 1 through 15, which is the whole book. For those of you who have never read a complete book of the Bible, Saturday, if you do the homework, you'll read a whole book, 15 verses. You can say, "Woo, got through a whole book. But we're going to pray. Then we're going to have an altar call time during, during the offering. And we'll, we'll take care of the offering at the end. But we're going to have time to respond to what God is saying. Are we imitating Jesus' life and character? Do we have a desire to imitate his life and character. And if we don't, friends, it's between you and the Lord. And I don't know who's struggling with it and who's not. But it's time to get honest with Jesus. He already knows. It's time to come and say, maybe I've not experienced his saving power the way I need to. We're going to examine ourselves today. Father, we pray that no one feels shamed today but god we do pray that guilt comes lord you tell us in the in the word there's two types of guilt one that leads to shame and condemnation and lord that is from the enemy and we recognize that and we pray that no one feels that type of shame today but lord there's another type of guilt that leads us to repentance that leads us to come to you and say i am guilty before you lord and i want to be forgiven and set free and holy so, Lord, we do pray for the, the guilt that comes from the Spirit that leads us to your grace and not the type that leads us to shame and condemnation. Father, literally transform our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.